Well, good morning, New Life Kulangata. So excited to be here this morning as we, uh, well, I'm actually so impressed by how many people have made it on Cooley Rocks. I don't know how far you had to walk, but I'm so excited to have you all here as we open the Word of God uh, together. I'm pumped. I don't know who else. Is anyone, like, hands, hands only, hands up. Who's going to go and enjoy Cooley Rocks after this? Uh, there are so many cool-looking cars and stores and things going on, so it's going to be epic. But hey, um, we're going to read some scripture. We're going to open the Bible today. So if you uh, have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. I almost forgot them. But hey, if you haven't met me before, my name is David Skembry. I get the joy of being on team here. And what I get to do on team here is actually work with our communities, our small groups, our connect team, our, our cafe. I get the joy of asking the question of what does it look like to have thriving Jesus communities in the local church. And so if you want to know more about what that means or what that looks like or how you could be involved in seeing that happen, come and chat to me after because I would love to chat to you. But let's dive straight in. We're going to read some scripture. Today, what I'm hoping we can do is combat what I believe could be one of the biggest issues, struggles, threats to the local church and its mission and its effect in our world. And we're going to do a whole heap of celebrating. We're going to do a whole heap of, of, of actually reflecting on the brilliant goodness of God we've seen in this community so far. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to read scripture. We're going to pray after that. So, so join me in verse 7. It says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, everybody say through the church, through the church, the, manif the, the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. I don't know about you, but I read scripture like that sometimes and zone out because it was wordy. It was fluffy. Principalities, powers, heavenly places, what is going on? Let's pray. Let Lord speak to us and um, let, let our God kind of guide this conversation. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you are actually good. It's not just a tagline Christians say to get people thinking, hey, if God's good, maybe I'm interested. You are actually good. You display your goodness to every single person who comes before you. You've never failed to be faithful. You never failed to be involved, that we are your people, and you are our God, our Savior, and our Father. I pray today, Lord, through this message, through this word, you could encourage us as a church and stir within us an excitement for what it means to be your body, your hands and your feet in this world. We love you, Jesus. We praise you in your mighty name. Amen. I'm going to do a little bit of crowd participation for a second, but I'm going to do it real controlled like. So I'm going to count to eight, and you have until I hit eight to do what I'm about to say. And then after I hit eight, we're all going to come back and, and listen to me again, because otherwise we're going to be talking about lunch for the next six months. So, so my question I'm going to ask, and I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and share your first instinctive thought on, all right, is this. What is the biggest threat or the biggest struggle the church in Australia faces. I'm going to count to eight. Turn to your neighbor. Share your thoughts. One, two, three, four, 
five, six, seven, or seven and a half, seven three quarters, eight. All right. I'm going to share some of the answers I got throughout the week, asking a bunch of people I trust this question, right? Some of them are quite funny. I like it. um, Some of them are serious, though, but some of them are funny. Um, What are the biggest struggles, the biggest threat to the effect of God's church today? Vaccines, safe schools, the Liberal Party, the Labor Party, the Greens Party, uh, apathy, the Americanization of the church, the politicization of the church, a general disregard for truth, comfort, wokeness, uh, the make like Build-A-Bear and build your own saviorness, or just the general bad reputation the church seems to have around the wider world. I don't know about the things you shared with your neighbor when I asked that question, but I imagine some of those could have come up, or maybe a bunch of other things that I, wasn't, I didn't even say. Actually, the crazy thing I was surprised by was that everyone I asked had a different answer. I really thought everyone would just say the same thing, and it wasn't even close to being like that. Now, I don't know about the most threatening thing. I don't know if it's the most threatening thing. But there's an underlying spirit behind all of those things, and and, and it's a powerful force that can totally rob the effectiveness of the church and give power to those things. the, The word I want to use is discouragement. Not just an emotion, not just I woke up today and feel a little bit discouraged, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling low. It's, it's, it's a spiritual, a coordinated spiritual assault on the power and the effectiveness of the church by reminding and convincing and trying to get us absolutely blindsided to the brilliance of God by being totally wrapped up in the Labour Party, the Liberal Party, the Greens Party, and every other possible thing that could capture our attention until we are so focused on the waves, the storm, and the thunder, we miss the Jesus who is able and capable to walk us through it. So, so I want to talk on discouragement. And the thing is, the crazy thing for me is, is that I feel this. I'm preaching from a place of like, yeah, I'm a little bit discouraged at times. I'm struggling sometimes to believe in the power of the church. Now, I wrote this message from that place of hearing what other Christians and other members of our church, our communities, have been saying. And it's crazy that the church of God against whom the gates of hell will not prevail faces a few things, cultural, um, present things happening in this world, and we we get scared. We get feeble. We back off a little bit from our effect and our totally sold out nature as the body of Christ. But it's not a new phenomenon. Discouragement isn't something that's kind of come in in the last 10, 15 years, you know. This isn't a new phenomenon. In fact, Paul himself was responding to a similar situation to the church of Ephesus. This is why he cries out as he wraps up his pericope. He passionately cries out, I ask you therefore, in Ephesians 3.13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged. I believe one of our greatest challenges that we have, that we face, is that a century of social insult has left us feeling insecure about our place in the world and our usefulness to God. We have been on the bad side, on the, on, on the bad end of, of the jokes and the criticism of our, local, of our Western society for about 120, 140 years now. And it's taken a toll to the point that I speak to Christians who kind of feel guilty that they're Christian. They're like, I don't know why. I just kind of feel a little bit ashamed, a little bit guilty about it. Or they feel like I can't share the gospel. Nobody wants it. 
And we just feel kind of bound up and a little bit ineffective, discouraged that this might be working, that God might still be using us. This is how Paul responds to it. He says this, uh, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make, uh, make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. The mystery is the gospel. Okay, So just substitute the word mystery with the word gospel. All right, to make plain to everyone the administration of the gospel, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Friends, we resist discouragement. We resist discouragement by knowing our place in this world. I don't know if you ever noticed that sometimes the church seems to step on toes it shouldn't be stepping on. Have you ever kind of thought, this is the thing the church should be doing? And you kind of like pay attention to it a short while later and you think, you know, I'm not sure if that's the role of the church. I don't know if that's the mission or the agenda of the church. I'm not sure if the church should be doing this or doing that. The first way we respond to discouragement is by knowing what we are and why we exist. You know, I see a Paul in Scripture there who clearly knows his place. He knows his purpose. He knows the game he's playing and the rules he's playing by. He knows the arena he's in. But my question is, do we New Life Cool and Gather? Do we know our place? Do we know why we exist? What God has crafted and called us to do? Verse 7 says this, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. I know you're all holy and like beyond reproach. Say the word servant to me and I'll tell you how I feel. A little pang of resistance. A little bit of me is like, oh, servant. I would rather be the boss man. I'd rather be the one with, I don't know if I want to be a servant. Come now, I'll happily share power, but I don't want to be a servant. The issue is we all kind of want to have the power. Right? Every human being in the world wants to have the power. But there can only be so many bosses till the word boss becomes irrelevant. Right? Like, I mean, if everyone's the boss, nobody's the boss. Right? And, 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 and so it, what this leads to is a sense of competition, rivalry. Between each of us, we are continuously striving to feel powerful and to feel like our voice, our opinion, it, it matters and, and it's important and that we are valuable as human beings. And so we rival one another in this competitive spirit and mindset that has broken and damaged society and us as individuals. We feel a continuous sense of striving, a continuous sense of dissatisfaction, a continuous sense that we're not there yet and we never will be. We feel like failures. Our, rob has, our arrest has been robbed. Our worth is in question. And we ain't even sure if we know a good reason to celebrate. As a church, we begin to feel the weight of not knowing who we are. But the whole world's facing the same thing. The whole world is caught up in sin. The whole world is struggling with whether they are, uh, with the word servant, with how to love one another and serve one another. Paul responds to this problem of the word servant. He says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. You know, sin has corrupted all of us, and it's led us, you know, our communities, our families, us as individuals, into, into these places of despair, into these places of hurt. And what it's left us doing is feeling meaningless at times, feeling lost at times, feeling useless in our weakness, feeling uh, uh, kind of secure in nothingness. And then we just have this general, like, we just feel totally torn down, and this is where sin leaves us. 
And this is why what Christ brings is described as boundless riches. What it is that Christ brings is a response to those fears of hurt. This is beautiful. You don't have to look far to see it. I mean, go turn on the news. Go and like literally flick on the news when you get home. Go and scroll Apple News or whatever and just read some of the articles. What's Russia doing in Ukraine? You know, why are our politicians having to go through uh, all of this getting an um, inquiry on whether they're corrupt or not? Right? Why do all these private sectors have so many inquisitions about the way they treat one another? But we don't even have to look that far to see the brokenness, right? Why is it when that person says that thing, I feel that sense of awe, right? Like, why is it when that thing happens, whatever it might be, I get cut off or, you know, I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, my instinct is to make somebody else feel bad about it. There is a problem in our world, with the world over, and it's the sinfulness that is hurting and robbing people of life. And Jesus is the response. He brings the riches of healing, of hope, of purpose, and of belonging to a world that is desperately in need of it. And this is the thing, it's him, and he is God. And in other words, all the, like, all the answers, all the struggles, all the things we'll face, right? all the things we need to win, it isn't more morality. That'll only leave us feeling more guilty. right? It's not more grit. That'll only leave us feeling more judgmental. It isn't more education. That'll only leave us feeling more uh, aware of our failures or more equipped to kind of uh, not have to be accountable. right? Like, like these things don't solve the problem. They just highlight it. What we need is more Jesus. The answer to our world's one and only struggle, which is the root of all of the struggles we can come up with, is Jesus. And so Paul goes on. There is a problem, and it's this sinful brokenness. There is a response, and only one response, and his name is Jesus. And Paul goes on, and he says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this gospel, of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. When we get to know the issue, we begin to easily see that the solutions our cultures are coming up with, they're not working. Uh, at best, they mask issues, and more often, they just make them worse. We use Instagram to try and feel popular or to feel successful, and all it does is create success fatigue, success anxiety. Right? We try hard to, to eat, you know, all the, you know, drink enough coffee, eat enough good foods, have enough money, drive a nice enough car, have that perfect American you know, family, whatever that image, the nuclear family. You know, we just do all these things, and then suddenly we realize nothing in us has been healed. All we've done is dodge the problem. When we get to know the real cause of Christ, to draw a lost and broken people from their wallowing in sin to the wholeness of the arms of Jesus, suddenly we begin, the church begins, to understand its place in the world. When we recognize that Christ alone is the answer to the problem alone that the whole world faces, we begin to realize that we are not called to be uniquely a political entity or uniquely a market entity or anything. We are called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus that the world may look to us and get to know him. A.W. Tozer says it this way. Why did Christ come? Why was he conceived? Why was he born? 
Why was he crucified? Why did he rise again? Why is he now at the right hand of the Father? The answer to all of these questions is is in order that he might make worshipers out of rebels, in order that he might restore to us again to the place of worship we knew when we were first created. We, the church, are to make plain, reveal, make it obvious, help the world to see and understand, right? To action out to everyone. And that means everyone. That includes your weird great auntie Margaret. That includes that next door neighbor that annoys you. That includes your work and office friend who gets under your skin. Everyone. To make plain to everyone the gospel. The immense, unrelenting, life-changing, healing goodness of Jesus and his desire to be all of that in relationship with us. This is our place in the world. We are image bearers of a beautiful reality. That's the church. We are image bearers of a beautiful reality, and a reality uh, that a world who at large has never truly been something to do and yet has preemptively rejected. It's like we are called to image something to a world in desperate need of it who have already rejected it because they've made assumptions about it without, without ever getting to know it. And so we, the church, are called to set straight some myths so that a world may look to the church and see a hope, a life, a freedom, a healing. Friends, we resist discouragement uh, by, by knowing our purpose, by knowing our place. We resist discouragement also by knowing God's working in and through us. Friends, here's at work here in New Life Calling Gather. I, I, I've been so excited to be a part of this church. I, I really wanted to lay the framework down before I kind of got into the, the heart and the, and the encouragement of us as a church. The framework is simple. We, we are responding to an issue everybody is struggling with. We are not outdated, right? We haven't become irrelevant. If you think we've become irrelevant, then you're living in a fantasy world where sin doesn't exist. For as long as there is brokenness and hurt, there is a need for the church imaging Jesus. So, so, so we're not irrelevant. We're not pointless. And our book may be old and at times dusty, but its truth still transform lives today. And so we as a people, we respond by believing that not only do we know our place to image God in the world, but we know our, our, our God is still at work in and through the life of the church. And I don't know if you ever feel like, uh, like let me ask the uh, question uh, for you to consider. Um, when was the last time you got up on a Sunday and say, I believe today I'm going to see the face of God? I believe today I'm going to see the hand of God. I believe today God will move in and amidst that congregation and there will be something special happening. Like when was the last time you honestly got up and when I am excited for the hand of the Lord will be revealed to me today? Like we struggle to believe. We like the ideas. We like the information. We like the logic. We like the theology. It's all neat. We can wrap it up in a bow uh, and, and we can keep it. But when that transforms into reality, that God himself is not leaving this church out on a whim, that he hasn't abandoned us and actually desires to show up every time we come before him, not just on a Sunday, but as we be the church. As we believe that, lives are transformed. In fact, Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, when you walk into a room, light walks in. Hope and truth walks in. When you walk into a room, you bring grace, encouragement, and the love of Christ. 
Christianity isn't an observational faith. It's a participatory faith. We don't just go to church. We are the church. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. What will you bring in to the room today? Paul says it this way, although I am, the le- I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. The crazy thing about being in this church in particular is that I don't have to look hard to see our church at work. I don't have to look hard to see the hand of God working through the people of God who say, I'm in, I'm invested. Over a decade ago, there was a church family that disbanded. And one of the people that were left out and about because of that, uh, they they had an eight-year-old child. And that eight-year-old child was left feeling super confused, really kind of unsure about what it was uh, that was happening. And when their family tried to remember to be Christian and their family tried to remember to grab, you know, to, to say grace or pray in the morning or read their Bibles, it was weird. And it was so irregular that this poor eight-year-old just totally, as they grew up, became confused and disheartened with Christianity or whatever it was that they were seeing. As this kid grew up, they would face the slew of struggles with their emotions, their sense of belonging, and their joy. They had this sense that there was something missing but they just didn't have a clue where to start looking. They couldn't seem to find a solution, a hope, or even a home. They tried everything. They even moved across the country to try and find a new home, thinking maybe it's just where I live. And it didn't help. They felt alone, isolated, hurting, lost. And then they were invited by someone to join a church. And so sure enough, they decided why not? I'll come along to a church service. And the church they came along to was New Life Kulangata. They said for the first time since moving in a state, they felt like they had a home. And they were like, it didn't, it's not like coming in through the doors fixed everything. They said, this is quite funny, they said this to me. They were like, I walked in and I just thought, wow, these guys are a bunch of loonies. I think they prayed for 10 minutes straight. Who does that, right? Like, it's not like joining a church fixed it all. But as they walked into community with our family in this room, they found a healing and a hope in a God who loves them. So much so that a few short months after asking, who are these bunch of loonies, right? They found themselves in a three-hour conversation with God in the privacy of their house. Three-hour conversation where God opened their heart to display his love for them. Challenge them to get baptized in our church. And as a result of that, they said they have continued to experience the wonder and the awe of God. And the thing that they are most stirred by is that every day they get to wake up and anticipate God's goodness showing up. Friends, they experience the hands of Jesus through New Life Calling Gadda. He made a worshiper where once there had just been a rebellious and hurting heart. And we got to be a part of that. We're the family. This isn't some story about some church in the Middle East. This is the story of a real human being who was transformed from being lost to being found, hurt to wholeness, death to life. And we got to do that. God is using the church. Verse 9 says, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. See, here's the thing. Yeah, sure, he's revealing the boundless riches of God 
to the Gentiles, or another way of saying that is the unsaved, those who don't know him. But it's not just his boundless riches being revealed to the unsaved. The gospel is just as much for the saved. I asked a couple of people for their stories throughout the week, and another story I got was this one. This person was born into a secular family. That means that no one in their family knew God. The person always had a sense in some strange way that there was a God and God was present, but they lacked the knowledge and the religious community to articulate this and find the help they needed to strengthen their relationship with him. In spite of a non-religious home, they continued to be introduced to Christianity through various communities they were in, you know, from school and friends and teachers and so on, right? But they couldn't, and no matter what, this person could not shake the sense that God wanted them to go deeper and get to know him. But they just didn't know how. This resulted in a night where they actually just hit a wall and they fell before God and said, God, I'm frustrated. And they had this raw conversation with him. And they begged for his help, begged for a community to teach them how to know God, be baptized, and be a Christian. Through this prayerful experience, God said this to them, you need to take a a leap of faith and join a local church. This person Googled local churches, very literal, and they found New Life Kulangata. And they said, since joining this church and meeting everyone, they found their relationship with God has strengthened immensely. They know what it means to be a Christian. They know what it means to be loved. They know what it means to be uh, a found and more whole person in the presence of God. Their relationship with God has strengthened immensely and their perspective on their life and value has shifted in the most amazing way. Friends, all I want to do up here is say this. I'm so excited to be a part of this community. I'm so excited that I get to be a part of a church that is actively revealing the goodness of God to the people they meet. And I'm so excited that as a member of this church, we're not just being, you know, like chatterboxes or we're not just going out and, and displaying something and seeing what happens. What we're doing is witnessing moves of God. As we come before him and say, God, I believe in you. Like, I genuinely believe in you. And I know out there, there are a bunch of people struggling and suffering with sin. Lord, teach me. Teach me how to image bear. Teach me how to reveal you. Teach me how to show you. And God says, not only will I teach you, I'll show you that I know how to use you. And so we say, God, come, lead me to the people you want me to meet. Show me how to image bear. There are people in Cooley Rocks today, right now, who have come for a fancy car and might leave this place knowing Jesus because the local church, Right? conversations, relationships, meeting someone randomly and just being a loving presence. God will use what we lay before him as the body of Christ and as we openly image that God is good and Jesus loves all of us. He breaks chains and brings life. And God is drawing hurting, hard, rebellious hearts back to himself And he's actually doing it. Not just the hearts of the unsaved, but even the hearts of the saved. I don't know about you, I've been a Christian now for just over a decade, and I'm gonna be honest, I've still got a hard, (laughs) rebellious heart at times. Like there are some things God says, David, would you trust me? And I say, God, no, I won't. Like it's, it's, it's pretty simple, my heart isn't there yet. What does God do in response? David, you're out, I've had enough of you. No, he goes, let me walk with you. Press into community. Keep going to that small group. Keep spending time in prayer. Create rhythms and practices of grace. 
sit throughout your life with no motive and no agenda than just to know you're loved by God. As I've done that, I've experienced that God can break down even my hard, stupid little heart. And I know he can keep doing that for this whole church. I know he is doing that. Verse 10 says his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? Thank you for asking. Here's the thing. When we know why, when we, know why we exist and we know God is faithful to do something powerful through us, unsaved people fall in love with God. Saved, pe- saved people experienced continual renewal, right? And even the angels in heaven are wowed by the greatness of God. When the church is the church, we rock the unsaved, we rock the whole world, and we rock angels in the name of Jesus. Like, can you believe that you going out today, you going out for the week, you going out for the next seven days and being an honest, integrous church, the angels in heaven are going, wow, God is amazing. That person's pathetic and God's using them. <laughs> right? Like, like, that's the crazy thing. Like, could you imagine being an angel? <laughs> could you imagine being an angel? They've seen the whole Old Testament. Like, you can imagine, I don't know if angels have popcorn, I imagine them having popcorn. And I imagine angels in heaven wolfing down the popcorn as another king becomes king of Israel, and they go, oh, how's this one going to stuff it? Oh, another one, oh, how's this one going to break it? Like, they've seen us fail. And then they see God. Jesus himself, God himself. Bare human flesh. And they're like, what's he up to? What is he playing at? What's his plan now? How has he not given up on them? He literally wrote a manual for how to be a perfect human and they just still can't do it, right? Like, because the angels are like, what? But he's wearing human skin. And, And what do humans do? They say, no, no, I don't think you understand God. We've been rebelling against you for years for a reason. We're gonna put you to death. The angels go, oh, surely that's it. Surely that's it. But God conquers death. He rises again. He says, I have conquered death in every heart, in every human heart. Why? So that that death can't conquer you anymore. And he says, now I'm going to use you. Yes, you. Yes, how are you going to stuff it? It's happening. I know it. We're okay with that. I've covered it. The question no longer is, how are you going to stuff it? The question is this, how are you going to worship The question no longer is, how are you going to fail? Jesus has you. The question is, are we willing to go all in? Take what we have. Lean into God. Francis Chan says it this way, I can't help but see our own lameness in failing to see the beauty in God's design for the church. Heavenly beings are shocked by God's church, while many on earth yawn. I invite us today to not be yawners. If we're yawning, it just means we don't get it. Do you know what that means? You need to lean more into the church. You need to lean more into Christian communities. You need to lean more into your prayer life. If we're yawning, it means we haven't yet grasped what God wants us to grasp. And the only answer is to be surrounded by more faithful Christians who will walk that journey beside us. God is at work through us. He is at work through us. 
So friends, here's the thing. We resist discouragement by knowing that we have a purpose and a place in this world. And it's to reveal the wonder of Jesus in response to the brokenness that this world doesn't seem to be able to shake off on its own. And God is using our feeble and small little acts of of righteousness. The Bible says that even our greatest righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And yet he uses them. And he transforms lives through them. And we say, this is stupid. God can't use this. This is ridiculous. This is nothing. Oh, it's like, you know, $5. How could this choice to be generous, how how could God use that? How could my words, I'm not smart. How could my words help someone? I can't justify why you believe the gospel and not be an atheist. Like, why would God use me? This is just hospitality. I do it every day for my family. How could God feel that? But the point isn't the size of our act, it's the size of our God, and he is able to use it because he is at work through us. Verse 11 says, he is at work according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So how do we respond, church? What am I calling us into? I'm calling us to celebrate. I'm calling us to celebrate. Friends, God is at work. Lives have been changed in this very community. That's two stories. I asked two people. That's all I asked. Two people for just a story. And they're the two stories I got. I wonder if I asked every person in this room for the story of what God's been doing in their life, the multifaceted, you know, the manifold ways we would see the wonder of God at work through the church in the lives of everyone in this room. I have been transformed and rocked by his goodness since joining this community. And I know for a fact so many of our stories is the same. So how do we respond? Let's press on as Jesus' hands and feet in this world. Let's be confident. The Labour Party, the Liberal Party, the Greens Party, right? Wokeness, vaccines, safe schools, right? All of these things, whatever other things we can come up with as reasons to be discouraged, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And we got to believe that. You know, we can admit as we go and we share the goodness of God, as we invite people to be a part of, of this wonderful community, we're okay to admit. Josh White says we can admit that it's difficult, but we don't have to apologize for the gospel. We can admit that it's difficult, but we don't have to apologize for the gospel. It doesn't always make sense, and it's contrary to so much. But we don't have to apologize. It's the life that God is bringing to a broken world, and he's using my hands, my mouth, my feet. He's using your hands, your mouth, your feet. He is doing it. Will you believe it today? Verse 12, it says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. Our greatest encouragement and the greatest reason we have to resist discouragement is that our confidence is in Christ. He's able. He's conquered. He's victorious. This isn't a joke, it's not a myth, and it's not up for debate. We win because Christ won, and he's enough. And he says, friends, I am whole, I am good, I am life. Will you come? Will you sit with me today? And so we're going to respond to the wonder and beauty of God, the God who is able to use you and me, the God who is at work and has a mission to repair and heal hurting and wounded souls, the God who has a mission to repair my hurt and my wounded soul. We're going to respond to his beauty and his ability to use us through worship. 
We're going to respond through prayer. And we're going to respond by believing in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the power of God to break chains and bring life. Will you choose to believe it? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your mercy. I thank you so much that the church is a beautiful thing that you're still using. I thank you that you didn't quit on us. You didn't quit on us when we first sinned in Genesis 3. You didn't quit on us, God, when, um, when you know, at the end of the Tower of Babel, when we tried to build our own way to heaven. You didn't quit on us when after bringing out of Egypt, you know, we, we rebelled and built a calf. You didn't quit on us when we continued to rebel throughout history, choosing a king instead of God to be ruler. You didn't quit on us when we sinned in our own lives and with our own hands and with our own mouths. You don't quit on us when we are discouraged, faithless, and struggling. You don't quit on us when we're hurting and you don't quit on us when we've got wrong ideas or misguided thoughts about the world and ourselves. That God, you are so in and we are your people because Jesus is enough. Teach us to celebrate. Teach us to worship. Teach us to rejoice in your holy name. Maybe there are some people in this room who've never heard the name of Jesus or have never made a decision to give their life to him. It's not up for debate whether he will change your life for the better. It's not up for debate whether he wants to change your life for the better. The only question is, are you going to receive it today? Now, as we pray, I invite you to begin a conversation with God. As we worship, I invite you to turn your eyes to him privately and say, God, could it be? And then come and chat to one of our team. Come to the front for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you are at work in, in all the souls in this room and that right now heavens, uh, angels in heaven are rejoicing. I praise you that we get to be your church and you, get, and, and you would use us and you're at work. Hallelujah, God. Be praised. Be praised. In your mighty name, by the power of the blood of Jesus, we pray. Amen.